Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography and technology. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We were actually going to do an episode in two parts where I was going to talk about my workflow with Apple Photos on the Mac, and Jeff was going to talk about his workflow with Apple Photos on iOS. But I spoke so much, and we reached a half an hour. We decided better to make two episodes than give you like a 60-minute episode. So if you haven't heard that episode yet, you should stop listening to this and go back and listen to that. Episode 87, Apple Photo Workflows on the Mac. Some of what Jeff is going to say is in counterpoint to what I was talking about using the Mac version of Apple Photos. So Jeff, how do you use photos on iOS? So I think one of the big differences between us in regards to photos is that I don't use photos as much. Uh, regular listeners know that I am more of a Lightroom person. Uh, and then I also use all sorts of other things on the Mac, like Luminar, sometimes Photoshop, you know, the whole mix of things. However, that doesn't mean that I don't use photos. And so in my situation, primarily my photos use comes from what I shoot with my iPhone because I still shoot a lot with the iPhone. And of course, it's the easiest method of moving photos around from the iPhone because everything that I shoot goes into iCloud and then it shows up on my Mac and like that nice tight ecosystem works really well. So you don't have the whole process that I do of importing onto my computer and then into photos. For you, it's already there. And your first step of processing, selecting, editing is right away in photos. Exactly. Although I will say when I'm taking photos, so I guess we have to split this into two different branches. So one is stuff that I shoot with my iPhone. And, and I do shoot quite a bit with my iPhone. You have an iPhone Pro, so... I have an iPhone 12 yes. Pro, yes, and therefore it's it's not super pro like the Max, but anyway. <laughs> and so uh, because I do shoot a lot with that, having that, that Apple Photos ecosystem just works great because I don't have to think about importing. Now, when I'm shooting with my, uh, my mirrorless cameras, my Fuji, I will typically import that into Lightroom. And I'll either do that on the desktop on my Mac, or I'll do it on my iPad directly into the Lightroom app. And so you do that using that little gizmo, the Lightning to SD card adapter, is that it? Yeah. Although actually, because I have an iPad Pro and it has a USB-C port, I can use pretty much any USB-C hub. So I actually have a few different adapters, some of them that are actually faster than others for importing a lot of photos. Okay, and, and you can also import into Apple's Photos app that way. Yes, absolutely. And so what happens is when I have photos that I bring into Lightroom, for example, sometimes if there's something that I want to edit in photos, or I know that I want to easily put into photos, say, because I want to share it on Instagram. Instagram is kind of a frustrating but good example here because the easiest way to get images into Instagram is to have them in your photos library. It's It doesn't tie into the files app or anything so like that. So you have that. to go Lightroom, Photos, Instagram. Yeah. There's actually a way to use the sharing menu in Lightroom and then choose Instagram as the destination, but it's you don't get as much control. Right. You don't get the same options about 
um, automatically cropping to square or the the filters etc. Yeah. Okay. As with so many things on the iPad and the iPhone, you can do it, but you give up different yeah. features, which actually brings us to the Photos app, because uh, I will sometimes edit in the Photos app. Absolutely. However, if you're used to using the Photos app on a Mac, there's a lot of things that don't transfer over or, or just basically aren't there. So one of the features that I really like about photos on the Mac is that little preview bar above the light and color and black and white controls. And it's it's just this, this genius way of sliding back and forth to get different tones, brightness and darkness, etc. That's gone on iOS, which stinks. It's almost a dummies version of it, but actually it works quite well because when you don't know what you want, it allows you to see what your options are and then go down to the individual sliders. Yes, exactly. And so that is gone on iOS. Now, there are also a lot of other controls that you're not going to get. For example, the selective color uh, edits. Now, I, I like using selective color in Lightroom and uh, actually on, on photos on the Mac because sometimes you want, say, yellow to pop a little bit more, but you don't want to you know bring up the, whole, the saturation of everything because then it just looks garish. Now, the good news is because this is all Apple's ecosystem, you can do some of your edits on the iPad or the iPhone, and then bring it into the Mac and sort of do your finishing work there. But you have to have that in mind that, that that's what you want to um, do. I do want to mention selective color. In the last episode, we looked at a black and white photo I shot, and most of my photos are black and white. But I do like the selective color. It's a great way that when you're shooting something with a sky, you can select the blue of the sky and increase the saturation. You said like the yellow. So if you're shooting flowers, um, let's say you want a flower to stand out a little bit more. You decrease the saturation on the grass behind the flowers and you increase it on the flowers themselves. It's a very useful tool. You didn't mention one other missing feature in the iOS Photos app, and this is terrible. They removed the black and white conversion. That's right. That's right. I, I keep forgetting about this because I think my brain has blocked it, which is crazy. In, and in fact, that actually takes me to one of the first things that I do. And I, I'm i going to say I'm a little ashamed to admit this, is that quite often when I start editing a photo in the Photos app on iOS, I will head straight for the presets. Now, I am not a preset guy. I don't really want my photos to look like somebody else's. And especially on iOS, the presets, there are you know, not even a dozen presets. And so too many times you'll see a photo and just know exactly, oh, this person used the vivid warm preset on, on photos. However, I will say I actually really like the noir black and white conversion. So there are some times when I know that I want this image to be black and white that I've shot with my phone, for example, um, I will just head straight to either noir or mono. And that gets me, you know, 85% there. And if it's just a photo you want to share on Instagram or send to a friend, that's enough. This isn't the kind of editing that is for you final editing, right? Exactly. 
or if it's something that that is final editing, it's not like an image that I've really worked on that I might potentially print someday. Like it's more typically something more casual, something fun, something, hey, this is where I am today, kind of a a share on Facebook or Instagram. So it sounds like you're saying that the Photos app on iOS isn't sort of good enough, isn't serious enough to do real photo editing. Uh, I'm sort of saying that. And I'm saying that with the bias that I've been using Lightroom for a long time. And the Lightroom app on iOS is really full featured. You can do a lot with it. And also, if you're using the Lightroom app on iOS, all of those edits transfer to Lightroom on the Mac. And so you have that sort of parallel ecosystem. It's a little weird that I actually do have sort of both silos here. I have a lot of things in Lightroom, mostly shots that I take with my my Fuji camera. That's where I sort of do my quote unquote real editing. And I'm cringing a little bit by saying it that way. And then I also have the silo of my Apple photos, which is mostly my iPhone shots. But those are also done using real editing. So your real camera takes photos that benefit from real editing and your iPhone gets photos that benefit from presets. For the most part. <laughs> no, it's a fair point. I mean, when Apple advertises the iPhone cameras, they make them look like they're professional cameras. And I think they can be, but just not very easily when you're editing them on iOS. You just don't have enough flexibility. Um, yeah. It's like iOS has training wheels on it for people who really don't do much with photos. And just the Photos app on the Mac has so much more, even if it's limited compared to Lightroom, that can take people up to the next level. Yeah, which I have to say surprises me a little bit because it's not like they aren't capable. I mean, good heavens, the processing power of these devices is more than a whole lot of Macs even. And so it's one of these cases where I think Apple has just made the decision that we don't want to overwhelm the millions and millions of people who might go in to edit a photo and see too many controls and just be lost. But they do see too many controls now in the iOS apps because instead of them grouped like we said before, light and color, etc., they're all individual. If I don't know anything about photography and I go in and I look at the controls when I tap a photo and I tap edit and I see exposure – I understand what that is. Brilliance, not entirely sure. Highlights, eh, shadows, don't know what they are. Contrast, I know that. Um, brightness, mm -hmm. that's like it makes it brighter or darker. That's easy. But then you get to black point and saturation and vibrance and warmth and tint and sharpness and definition and noise reduction and vignette. I think if they were trying to make it simpler, they failed. They made it more complicated. But if they were trying to make it complicated and full-featured, they, they also, also failed. failed. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I've always been partisan, and, and there aren't many apps that do this, but I've always been partisan to the idea that apps can have like a normal mode and an advanced mode. And this is the kind mm -hmm. of place where I think that would be really helpful, that the normal mode in the Photos app on iOS would be limited, but the advanced mode, at least on the iPad, maybe not on the iPhone, but maybe on the iPad where you've got more room and you can use the pencil and all that, the, the advanced mode would be really useful to let you dig down into the photos. Um, but instead, they've yeah. created this hybrid of advanced for dummies, and 
it's really confusing. And so people, they just tap the auto button and they choose a preset. Um, nothing against the auto button. We've said both said this many times. Often the first thing I'll do when I import a photo uh, into the Photos app is tap the auto button. More when I do color than black and white. Yeah. In fact, that's exactly what I was going to say. I almost religiously hit that auto button because I want to see what it will do. What's nice about the Photos app is, you know, we've we've talked about this complexity and the simplicity. Underneath it all, there's actually really good image processing going on. And I think this is a good time to bring up something that's more topical right now is uh, shooting in Apple's ProRAW format. Now, we have a recent episode that talks all about ProRAW. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. But we have this situation where if you have an iPhone 12 Pro and you have chosen to shoot RAW in Apple's ProRAW format, there's an extra little bit of information in there, which is called uh, local tone mapping. And that is basically like Apple's secret sauce for making a RAW file, but also taking advantage of the computational photography features that the camera is using for just regular images. So it's it's stacking a bunch of shots while you make the capture and blending the exposure. So you have like a really nice result that isn't too dark, that isn't too light. Well, even though it's been five, four or five months since uh, Apple Pro Raw is out, there's still limited support for it in other apps. So for example, if I were to take a, a Pro Raw image using my iPhone and then I want to go edit it in Lightroom because that's where I'm more comfortable editing. I'm not going to get really good results because Lightroom doesn't properly understand this ProRAW format. And so I'm going to end up with something that starts out really stark, really dark in the in the darks and really bright in the highlights and then have to sort of work my way back. Okay, a quick aside as I'm editing this episode. Due to some scheduling issues, we recorded the episode in February, and we're releasing it in late April. So what I just said is no longer accurate. So since our recording, Adobe released updates to Lightroom that finally support ProRAW files. When you import one, Lightroom automatically assigns an Apple ProRAW profile that preserves the look of the tone-mapped image, and then you can edit on top of that. There's also an Apple ProRAW monochrome profile for an accurate black-and-white conversion. So if I want to edit ProRAW images, then I want to come to Apple's Photos app to do it. Now, there's also a little bit of a caveat there because, as we discussed before, even though the Photos app can handle these correctly, it doesn't have like that specific control for managing just the local tone mapping. And in that case, then we want to kick out to a third app. I think I just overloaded with with a, a big stream yeah. of information that we'll unpack. As you said, we've got an episode about ProRAW. There's really nothing you can do with the Photos app on iOS yet. Um, there's other apps, but you can't do that. One thing you haven't mentioned, which is really specific to the iPhone, is portrait mode. Um, portrait mode photos, which were came in with a lot of fanfare a couple of years ago, they're actually quite interesting. I'm going to include a photo... Um, in the show notes that I took a portrait mode of a margarita on a table last summer. It's really quite interesting what portrait mode can do for things like that. Um, do you shoot portrait mode a lot? I do, actually. 
Yeah. Um, and again, because you can only really do that with an iPhone unless you're shooting with a camera that has a fast lens and a shallow depth of field and, and all right, of that. But that wouldn't do the portrait mode that the iPhone does, which allows you to then adjust the different types of portrait mode afterwards. Exactly. And that's the key to it. So that's a plus for the iPhone. What else? Live photos? I don't really ever shoot live photos unless somehow I've accidentally turned on the live photo thing. I know you do sometimes. I do sometimes. Actually, one of the great things about live photos, I mean, live photos are a neat gimmick because it gives you that that Harry Potter portrait thing where uh, literally it's going to record, I think it's like five seconds around the shot that you actually uh, press the, the shutter button for. And so sometimes that gives you a sense of, of what's going on. You, you get audio, you get motion. It's like the, a little tiny slice of video. But when you're in the Photos app and you open one of your live photos, if you swipe up, you'll get a few different options. When you have a live photo, you can swipe up and that gives you four different editing options. What the Photos app can do is blend the frames from that short little video into a few different effects. Now, one of them is to do just the live uh, video, as we said. Uh, one is to loop it. So it just repeats, repeats, repeats. Sometimes that works. Uh, you can bounce it so it goes forward and back. These are all really gimmicky kind of things. But the thing that I use the most is long exposure. And especially if you have, like, say, a photo of a waterfall, you can't get a long exposure with an iPhone Normally, because it'll let in too much light, it's it's actually trying to balance the exposure and oftentimes, uh, you know, take a quick shot. And so the brilliant thing about the long exposure feature is you literally you tap the, the one big long exposure button. It crops in a little bit to account for camera motion, but you end up with a nice blended image. So um, in this case, and I'll put this image in the show notes. Here's an image that um, has that nice silky water, but all the rocks and stuff and the trees around it are still relatively sharp. It depends on how much you move the camera, really. It's a great effect. I, I love it because you can get this, I want to say, fairly sophisticated effect that you would otherwise have to set up a tripod set a long shutter speed and possibly have some ND filters to cut down the light and blah, blah, like go on and on and on. And yet if you're in a situation where you know that there's running water or even something like a, a lake or something that you want to just sort of have that scene smoothed out, then long exposure will do that. Or um, car trails, like, like lights at night and car trails, like all of those sorts of things you can capture as long as you remember that, oh, right, I have this long exposure option. So that was a very long way of saying, yeah, I actually use this quite a bit and really kind of like it. So to, to sum up, your workflow is basically if you've shot a photo on your iPhone or your iPad, do you ever take photos with your iPad? Uh, I don't. It technically does have it a does. camera, but okay. I never think about actually. It actually it has a really good camera. Not as good as the iPhone. Yeah, exactly. So if you've taken photos with your iPhone, um, you will use the Apple Photos app, and I think that's pretty much the case for everyone with an iPhone. 
if they take photos with the iPhone? I, I mean, I'm going to guess that 90% of people who take photos with an iPhone never use an app other than the Apple Photos app anyway. Um, yeah, yeah. I, actually, I, I would agree with that. Or maybe they use something like Snapseed maybe that it's a little less slidery, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, and I was thinking we should do an episode on Snapseed one of these days. Um, I, I'm yeah. not a fan of all the effects, but it really is powerful and it does some really wonderful things. Um, let's put that in our to-do list. Going back to editing portrait mode photos, what we didn't actually mention was the nice thing about this effect where it, it blurs out the background and it, it does it using machine learning to figure out where a person is and it has all sorts of, of different criteria for establishing what that is. But as it's evolved, the, the effect is actually really pretty good. But the magic part of this is what the camera has done is embed a depth map. So it's it's figured out where those layers are in your scene. And so you can look at the picture and say, oh, you know what? This looks fine, but I I really want that exaggerated background effect. And so like, for example, in this picture of me, um, I'm standing in front of some uh, fall foliage and things are kind of nicely out of focus. Now, maybe I want to really, really crank up the the what's that word? Um I don't background know, background blur. something. <laughs> background blur. Um, bokeh. No, 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 I'm going to say, say bokeh. Here. So what I can do is I can tap a little button for the aperture. Right here, it's, it's set at f4.5. And this gives me a little slider. So I can change the depth to simulate up to a f1.4 lens. And what this has done is it's given me a much blurrier background. And honestly, like it still looks pretty good. Or you come to a situation like this and I realize, uh, you know, maybe I, I really want all that texture. So I can set the aperture to f16, which is closer to what the actual aperture is of the phone and set it for there. So it's it's a nice editable option especially if you're looking maybe for that that sort of background look. And correct me if I'm wrong, the newer iPhones that have LiDAR um, get better depth mapping than the older ones? They do, but they only use the LiDAR when it's dark. Oh, okay. I would think that they would use it yeah. for portrait mode all the time. Because look, I would think so looking too. back at my um, margarita photo from September 2019, uh, I do have the same option with a slider for sort of the um aperture but it looks mm -hmm. it looks i don't know it looks it looks more heavy-handed than the the changes that you just made on yours now obviously we're not doing a video of this and jeff was sharing his screen so i was watching as he was making the changes um but it looks like yours is better uh it's very possible that um i took this with the iphone 11 um, and maybe mm -hmm. with the iPhone 12 Pro, it does something a little bit better. I think that's part of it. Yeah, th there's definitely uh, better processing going on. And I think just faster hardware, slightly better uh, camera optics. But I think what is perhaps a bigger factor here is that my picture is of me, a person, and you're taking a picture of a margarita glass. And although the camera can figure out you know roughly 
what seems to be the foreground object and the background object, the algorithms are much more trained on people because this was designed for making portraits and possibly not as much in terms of, of you know, catching non-people objects. I've had sort of some success with with things that that are not people, but sometimes it's also hit or miss. Well, looking through my uh, portrait mode photos, everything done with the iPhone 8 Plus does not offer that slider and everything done with the iPhone 11 does, even photos of cats and margarita glasses. Yeah, they, they added the editability, I want to say, with maybe the 10S. All right. What else? Anything else? I think we've covered pretty much everything, haven't we? There's just one more thing that I wanted to get back to that we mentioned. And I think this kind of compensates for Apple's, uh, I'll say, negligence in not having such a full featured editor in the Photos app. You do have the ability to edit in other apps. So, for example, when we were talking about editing a ProRAW image, there's a little button at the upper right corner. It's just got three dots. Uh, sometimes it's called the more button. Sometimes it's, I don't know, it has a bunch of different names. And you can choose to edit in another application. Right. And you can do this on the Mac as well. Um, but it's pretty yeah. useful because if you do want to make a change in an app on the iPhone or the iPad, you can go to another app and select a photo from your photos library. Pretty much every photos editing app works like that. But this way, you do, you can just go immediately to that app and send the photo that you've been looking at rather than go to the app and have to find that photo again. Yeah. So let's say you do want to take advantage of some controls uh, like in the Raw Power app, for example. Then you can send the image and open it in the raw power. And the key to this is once you edit it in that third-party app, Apple's architecture allows that edited version to be saved back in your photos library. So picture your original photo and then like the edited version stacked on top of it. In some cases, you can then go back and like tweak that edit. In a lot of cases, you can't, but what you can always do is revert back to that original. Right. So you do have some flexibility if you say, this is a raw image that I know that I want to edit, and I know that what I want to do to this is beyond the scope of the Photos app, you can hand that off. Or say, again, using uh, raw power as the example, an app like that will read the images from your Photos library and you can open it within the Raw Power app, and it still does that very convenient uh, saving architecture so that even the edited version then gets uploaded to iCloud and shows up in your Apple Photos on the Mac. Okay. It's a little roundabout, round trippy, but um, ultimately you can get the job done. It just depends on how much time do you want to spend editing versus shooting. Exactly. Okay. Snapshots. Have you got something, Jeff? Recently, I wrote an article about uh, webcams, and one of the issues that I came up with when I was testing a bunch of different webcams was I needed to basically mount a bunch of them right in front of me at about the same spot so I could get different comparisons. And what I came up with was this mess of stacked books and some boxes held with gaffer tape and a... Uh, a, a bar from a lighting stand. It, it, it was kind of a mess. And so 
in order to get around that, I ordered what is basically a poor man's Justin clamp. A Justin clamp is basically a clamp like that you would open and close with your hand and it's got a spring and, and it holds on to something. And attached to that is a, like a little mini ball head that has a standard thread that you can then screw, say, a webcam or, a, you know, a, an iPhone mount or another camera. And what's nice about this is it's a nice strong clamp. You can clip it anywhere and position a camera wherever you want. So the ones that I got, uh, it's from a company called Utbit. Utbit. You know, I, I did an Amazon search. It has a lot of good reviews. It was $16 for a pair of them. And um, they're just really handy if you need to put a camera somewhere and maybe you don't have a, a full tripod or maybe, maybe you want to have your iPhone attached to something nearby and don't want to have, you know, just the whole mess of 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 rigging that can sometimes happen with these sorts of situations. Kirk, what about you? Um, I've got a new app, actually, by our friend Nick Bott from Gentleman Coders. You've mentioned his raw power um, a few times in this episode. He has a new app that just came out called Live Scan. Uh, what it can do is do text recognition from screenshots. So let's say you see a sign someplace. Uh, you take a photo of it. it uh, on your iPhone, there's also a Mac version. And it'll recognize the text in a bunch of languages, English, French, Spanish, German, Italian, Portuguese, traditional Chinese, and simplified Chinese. And then you can do all sorts of things. You can copy it. You can translate it. You can use it to look up something on Amazon. You can uh, send it to Google, Bing, DuckDuckGo, et cetera. And the website says, add your own plugins for custom workflows. I haven't really looked into that. Um, I, I think it's a really nifty idea because every once in a while – I do have a screenshot, and rather than typing text, I'd like to be able to grab it. And I've been trying it out, and on my Mac, it works almost flawlessly. Uh, you, usually, your screenshot is going to be, like, perfect if it's if it's a screenshot on a Mac or, or an iOS device. A photo is going to be a little bit less perfect um, because, you know, it's it's a photo rather than actually grabbing the pixels on the screen. Um, it's 10 bucks for a lifetime purchase for iOS and Mac. You get both versions. Otherwise, it's 99 cents a month or six bucks a year. Um, LiveScan, a, a really interesting tool. You may not use it a lot, but I think it's really useful to have. This is the kind of thing that next time I travel to a foreign country in the 2030s, I'm going to bring this with me because it'll be really practical. Like if you go to New York or something where you can't understand what <laughs> exactly. people are saying. No, I can't <laughs> understand what's on the signs. Right, right, right. Exactly. Sorry. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash photoactivecast. That's photoactivecast in one word. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review in iTunes or in your podcast app.